Starting on January 11th, Health Power will be posting every Tuesday instead of every Tuesday and Thursday. On Thursdays, starting on the 12th, you're going to get Dog Eared with Lisa Davis. Say write books about dogs. I interview them. So if you're a dog lover, I hope you will check it out. Tell your friends, tell your family, also tell them about Health Power. So again, Health Power every Tuesday, Dog Eared with Lisa Davis every Thursday. Hope you'll tune in. I have two dogs and I'm wondering when it's time to go out at night, does one of your dogs instantly get up and go? And then the other dog lays there and lays there and you're like, come on, come on, come on. And then I figure, okay, so I guess this one doesn't have to. And then as soon as the other one comes in, there comes Benji. So Blue, my pity, he immediately goes out, does his business and he's pretty quick about it. He comes back and I'm tired. I want to go to bed. Benji then decides once Blue's all the way in, I've turned off the light, I've locked the door, then he wants to go out. And then he sniffs around and takes his sweet time. And I'm like, seriously, dude, you had so much time. But that's, you know, every, just that's every, if you're new to the show, I start each show with, does your dog do this? Today, we're talking about a wonderful book. I'm so excited. It is called I Choose You, Imperfectly Perfect Rescue Dogs and Their Humans. It is by our guest, Carmen Leal, and it's such a wonderful book. I love anthologies where you get to read a lot of different stories. So Carmen is a storyteller and author of multiple books, dozens of articles, devotionals, and human interest stories. Carmen relocated to Hawaii, uh, excuse me, from Hawaii to Oshkosh. Yes, there is a story behind the move. I love that. And has become an awesome dog mom. Carmen and her husband have become reluctant gardeners and know a crazy amount about Wisconsin weeds. <laughs> she is a mother of two sons, two incredible grandsons, and Coconut, the best and perfectly perfect rescue dog in the world. Hello. Hello. I am so glad that you invited me to come. This is a big deal for me. So thank you. Oh, well, I'm so glad to have you on. Like I said, I love anthologies. It's so much fun to get to know you and your dog, Coconut, and, and your family, and then to read other people's experience with dogs. So the first question I ask every guest is, when did your love of dogs begin? When I got my dog. And if you've read the book, which you've had, you'll know the very beginning of it. I say, I will never get a dog. And in the book, there are two stories. There's a mutt named George and King Brutus. And those were the two dogs that made me say, I will never get a dog again. And now I know they weren't bad dogs. They were the wrong dogs at the wrong time for the wrong person. And I, I really want to stress that. Yes. But I would never have gotten a dog except we were back home in Hawaii, living the perfect life. I was a concierge. Life was fantastic. We were at a stop sign or stoplight on the way home from a beautiful beach and someone slammed into us. It was a giant SUV. We were in a little tiny Subaru, hit another SUV, hit two more cars, news at 10, totaled car. Oh Didn't know it at the time, but I had a horrible concussion and a traumatic brain injury. And for any of your listeners who have ever worked with people, people can be great. People can be not great. Yeah. My background is in sales, customer service, marketing, conflict resolution. I'm really good with people, with helping them when expectations and reality don't meet. Okay? So when you're on vacation in Hawaii, you have certain expectations. Oh, yeah. When it rains, when there's a car wreck, when you oversleep, when, 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 my job is to calm you down. But when you have a level 10 headache, trust me, it ain't happening. So after a couple years of just total suicidal thoughts, I saw no way out. I thought I was either going to get fired because of my mouth. I was going to be in jail for uh, physical abuse or I was going to kill myself. Those are the only options I saw. And my doctor in Hawaii kept saying, get a dog. He'll change it. I said, I, no, no, I only want a plant. I want nothing <laughs> to take care of. And we moved to Oshkosh, Wisconsin, because my son is here. I did pretty much no research except the house. Did not know what I was getting into. For all your listeners, do not move from Hawaii or Puerto Rico or California or any place with sun to Wisconsin in March. It was not a good idea. So that depression 
those suicidal thoughts continued until finally in October of 2017, I said, fine, I'll get a dog. I'll go, I'll get a dog. I'm going to name it Xanax. Ain't going to work. I can get rid of it, give it to my husband, because, you know, all those drugs didn't work, like Xanax, got rid of those. And I was fully prepared to do that. And we went to a shelter, a little rescue, and that's when my love of dogs began. So I'm a very new dog lover. Actually, I say to people, I'm a coconut lover. I'm still, um, I still have an awareness about dogs. I have a little bit of a fear. I have to prepare myself, uh, but I'm getting better. And what I, what I love is what dogs can do for people like me. Oh, absolutely. You know, you mentioned the Xanax, but I thought one of the funniest sentences in the whole book was in October of 2017, Coconut came to live in our home as my emotional support dog. You know, by now I was not a dog person and kind of looked at a dog well, like Xanax. And then there was another part where you talked about, I don't want a dog that jumps. I don't want a dog that licks. I don't want a dog... (laughs) Like all the things that dogs do. It's like, oh my goodness. When we, got, then, when we went to the rescue, the only, we went to the rescue because it was the only one open. Uh-huh. And I didn't do any, I, I didn't know there was a cost. I thought you just go in. They say, hey, here, take it off my hands. So we, we go in and my husband's a dog lover and they had a little computer screen and you could look at the dogs, read the bios. And he chose several dogs that he thought would be good dogs. They all walked in and went to him. All of them. They just ignored me. And I said, well, if it's my emotional support dog, shouldn't it come to me? And the owner said, well, tell me what you want in a dog. Right. I said, I want a dog that doesn't lick, doesn't bark, doesn't get on sofas, doesn't get in my bed. (laughs) And it's just plain not annoying. That's what I want. And he said, well, you don't want a dog, do you? I said, nope. And he goes, I got the perfect dog. And he brought in this little dog. And I think he's the cutest thing around. But at the time, he was 12 pounds underweight. He only weighs 36 pounds now. So you can imagine every rib. And he was just brown. He had a little black tail. But, you know, it wasn't like the huskies, the colorful coats, the blue and green eyes, the drama dogs. You know, that everybody looks at or the certain breeds that are bizarre. This was just a mutt. There wasn't nothing about this dog that would have ever made me say, I want this dog. And for three weeks, he had been in this rescue. This rescue uh, got their dogs from a high kill shelter in Kentucky. So he was fixed and he had been there about three weeks, but nobody ever said, I want this dog. Let me even see him. I don't know why Jim knew that this was the dog, but he walks in and the dog walks straight to me and stood and stared at me. And then he sat and like, I ain't leaving unless you're with me. And he just stared and stared like he knew that he knew. Wow. And so we got a dog that night. So he did chose me. So the title is he, uh, I chose you. And I chose you can be the dog choosing me, me choosing the dog, the Best adoption is when you choose each other. And that's what happened. He just started the process rolling. And I don't know what he saw in me. Did he know I was so broken that I needed fixing? Was it because I didn't jump all over him? Was it because I was calm? I don't know. Yeah, those are interesting questions. I think they can sense things personally. You know, we, we, we all know about dogs sensing things. And I think he really, really did know this is a broken person that I need to be with. Interesting, there's a story in, in the book about um, anybody who has men over 40, they just lowered the rate, get your PSA checked in. Well, my husband is considerably over 40. And I would say, go to the doctor, go to the doctor. He wouldn't go. He didn't go to the dermatologist. He didn't go to the urologist. All those things that you should do, your benchmarks, And I kept saying that. And finally, I said it was in 2019. And I said, look, we're making reservations to see your mom in Florida. If I don't see appointments for the urologist and the dermatologist on your calendar, I'm making a one-way ticket for you and a round trip for me because I can't be bothered. I don't want. I already buried a husband before this. I ain't doing another one. Not if it's something that we can prevent. And so he made the appointment. Well, 
before we left, Coconut, who does not love being held, he'll push against you, but he doesn't want to be held. And he was my dog, like Velcro. We'd be on the couch because, you know, that no on the couch, that ended. And <laughs> he started moving from me to Gary. And eventually he would move right into Gary's lap, which was very uncommon. And I looked at him one day and I said, um, Gary, you have cancer. He goes, why would you say that? I said, because coconut cannot get his snout out of your crotch. Oh, wow. You have, you have prostate cancer. And he said, well, that's a terrible thing to say. Not only did he have prostate cancer, he had like 80%. He had to have a total prostate removal a week after lockdown in March of 2020. Oh so bad, they wouldn't even wait. Now, he's doing fine. Oh, good, and he's cancer free. But it was that dog. It wasn't the doctor. It was the dog. So dogs are amazing what they sense, what they smell, what they know. And he knew. And interestingly, he was not allowed in the bed. Well, that ship sailed when (laughs) Gary came home from the hospital and is in the bed. Obviously, you know, going through a lot after that surgery, you could not keep that dog out of the bed, away from him. And I have a wonderful picture where his paw is right on Gary's uh, arm, where he's comforting him the first night of recovery. That is amazing. What was the adjustment like for you being a person that's not a dog person, getting the dog, okay, (laughs) because your doctor told you to. Just awful. Yeah. Oh, no, tell us about that. People think that it's magic and it happens overnight. And as a dog lover and doing this dog podcast and all I've learned now, you know, the rule of three, the dog is different. Three days, three weeks, three months. I did not know this. So our first night, I like to call another three, the 3000 night of joy, $3,000 night of joy. I was just getting settled. I didn't have friends. And I met a a lady who said, Hey, do you want to come to a play, this theater, the Grand Theater, which is one of these old turn of the century theaters that's revitalized and turns out it was a terrible play anyway. But I I didn't want to say no. I didn't want to say, I have to stay home. I have a dog because it had been on the calendar for so long. And my husband was working that night. And I thought, how bad can it be? I'll just leave him and there'll be poop. I have wooden floors. I'll just pick up the poop. Big deal. How bad can it get? Never say, how bad can it get? It will get way worse than you know. Off we go to this terrible play. I come back and there is some poop. But I didn't notice that. What I noticed were the drapes. We had negotiated for the silk 106-inch drapes on these 9-inch ceiling walls. They're gone. He had destroyed them. We had curtains upstairs I had just purchased. They're gone. The shades. He went into the pantry, knocked over the shelf, ate macadamia nuts, which oh, are precious to dogs. And they're macadamia nuts. You don't <laughs> leave those alone. <laughs> and then he he couldn't stand. This is all in like three hours. So we clean up the poop. We carry him outside. He can't stand. So he can't pee. And so then we take him up to his bed. The next morning, he still can't stand. So we, on a Sunday morning, and your listeners will know all about this, end up at the emergency vet. Where you just give them your whole bank account. <laughs> Let them take whatever they want. That's right. Oh, my gosh. All it was was a sprain. We think he fell down the stairs or something. Oh, but you don't man. know. And I said, if he right. poop. There's going to be a blockage. We went in and and I told them, I said, look, I do not want a fecal test. I don't want an exam. We just, he, I don't know this dog. I don't know this dog at all. I have no attachment to this dog. Just find out why he can't stand and fix it. When she came back with a laundry list of what they did, I asked for the manager and I said well first of all it's really nice that you have hired people who are hearing impaired and she said what I said that's the only reason you did all these tests because she obviously didn't hear me because I said 
Which <laughs> maybe is not the best way to start off a conversation, but <laughs> Yeah. Maybe not. So I get a pen and I cross out AP and this, AP and this, AP and this. And eventually we settled on 500 because I said, I'll pay this, which is still outrageous. Or you could just have the dog. I have no leases to this dog. I'll just get a new dog. There are a lot of dogs. <laughs> I'm not paying this. That was more than the adoption fee, which, by the way, I didn't know I had to pay. Because I go in and, he, and when I get the dog and the owner says, um, you want to settle this by a cash or, or card? I'm like, you're charging me? I'm taking the mud off your hands. You should be paying me. Honestly, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know. But I didn't want to sound stupid, so I paid it. And then the next day, I paid more than that to get this dog fixed. And it was it was basically a baby aspirin they gave me for dogs. But we got better. Um, I didn't do any research. And I really want to tell your listeners, do a little research. Yeah. Just a little <laughs> You know, I don't be like me. Do as I say now, not as I did. I didn't understand kennel cough. He had been out in the wild, it seems, for a while. So we know now he had to fight for food. Mm. Oh, my gracious, the amount of... He, he ate so fast that I thought he was going to choke to death. And so I go back and I talk and they said, well, get a Kong, put food in it or get a toy that it slows it down. The, sh- the rescue could not have been more wonderful in helping me. But as an owner, I could not have been more wonderful but ask questions. And later, Jim said, I can't believe you didn't try and give us this dog back. And most people do. They're at, just like in tourism or anything else, you have an expectation. And when reality hits and it's so vastly different than the expectation, our knee-jerk reaction is to say, I want a refund. I can't do this. Because everybody wants a plug-and-play dog, right? Right. And you're not going to get a plug-and-play dog. I don't care if it's a puppy or it's a senior. There is a period of time when that adjustment is not what you expected. And once we sort of got our rhythm... It was wonderful. And, and it was. And I went back to the owner and I said, you know, you guys do a great job with dogs, but you suck at marketing. I mean, you're so awful. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> You know, I needed a purpose. Taking care of Coconut and learning about him helped me to understand you're, you're damaged, but you still do things. You, you have to do them differently. I had to teach myself how to read for complicated comprehension again i swore i would never write another book i had written 10 before this oh wow but the task of writing a book was so daunting with brain damage the limited screen time the not knowing anybody in town uh, the isolation you couldn't get more different from hawaii than wisconsin um i just needed a sense of purpose so i started writing bios and it's funny because people would always say Oh, you're such a dog lover. You nailed my dog. It's perfect. It's like you know him so well. I didn't know these dogs. <laughs> I never met these dogs. You just wait. Give me a picture. Give me a a, a breed mix, po- a possible breed mix. Right. Because we don't we didn't breed identify. They, that came from Kentucky. And then my job is to Never make a promise the dog can't keep. And I think that's one of the problems that rescues have and shelters is they want to sell the dog. They want to not sell it, but they they say, oh, he's leash trained. Oh, he's crate trained. Oh, he can, you know, juggle and and tap dance at the same time. (laughs) And the reality is, but they can't do any of those things, even if they used to be able to do those things. They can't do those things in your house the first few days, the first few weeks, the first few months. Never make a a promise the dog can't keep. But I was really good with word pictures and talking about how they look and about breeds. And so during that time, I went from volunteering and then going on staff for the most underpaid human being on the face of the earth. And I designed the website and redesigned the logo and grew their social media. And 
Sadly, they did close in September of 2022. COVID just destroyed shelters and other nonprofits. And so I released the book a month early so I could do one more signing and I could donate. And now every book that is sold is going to different ones, but I'm meeting on Saturday who I think is going to be my, my rescue partner that we can start doing things with. And so I'll have more news later, but that's wonderful. Yeah. So I won't be working for them. I'll just dedicate all my efforts to them. But uh, during the, during the time I was with new possibilities, I was involved with 6,500 rescues in four years. In the 10 years they were open, they rescued over 12,000 dogs. That's incredible. Dogs that got surgery on Tuesday got on a transport on Wednesday. And if they hadn't gotten out by Friday, they'd be dead. Oh my. Because it is the poorest uh, county in Appalachia in Kentucky. And they just, the first year they were open, they had over 8,000 companion animals and 98% were euthanized. Oh my gosh. And it was only through partners like us that would pay for all the spay neuter, all the vet work, all the transport fees, everything, bring these dogs to Wisconsin that does not have a stray dog population where we live. Now, maybe closer to the Native American reservations, there may be a bit more, but where we live, you've got to really travel to get a dog if you don't. And so I I just felt awful that we closed for the dogs left behind, but for the people who are now struggling to find dogs. So anyway, that's a little bit about wow. why I do what I did. Yeah. Not so much out of being this major dog lover, but I like justice. I hate inequity. I Me hate too. unfairness. I, I just think, you know, we talk about diversity, equity in the people world, but it's the same thing in the doggy world. And I, I just couldn't stand to see dogs not given a chance and people like me not given a chance because there's a lot of people like me that just need a little, a little effort to be whole again. No one listening is going to be surprised that the story that grabbed me the most, other than yours, of course, was Noah's miracle. So I'm a pit fanatic, oh. and I, you know, I say it all over and over. But if you get to know a pit, my God, they are such big babies. They are. They really are. Well, that was the hardest story to tell, uh, not just because, you know, pits have a bad rap. And, and, I, and I like to tell people the majority of dogs in a shelter are not bad dogs. They're good dogs in a bad situation. And Noah's story is Jennifer, um, for your listeners, I did not put this in the book. So you get new information because it's a podcast. Right. Jennifer is my husband's daughter. And she, yes. And she lives up in New Hampshire and um, she had her best friend forever. And her best friend got given this pit, little pit puppy. Well, her husband and she were both major drug users. And the husband got her the dog with the intent of the dog becoming a bait dog, a fight. Just, guys, want to rip people's heads off. So when, obviously there was money involved in drugs and whatnot. So when Jennifer heard that, she rescued Noah Mm. to be able to save Noah's life while the boyfriend absolutely lost it because he had spent money on this dog that had potential to do what he wanted. And so she had to get a restraining order and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, the dog had a lot of behavior issues. And I would too. In that situation. Of course. So Jennifer had two kids. Bringing a dog in with behavior issues when you have two little kids and you have a a drug-using husband who doesn't have his act together maybe wasn't the wisest choice. And and like the two dogs in my childhood, George in my childhood and Brutus when my kids were little, they were not bad dogs. They were the wrong dog at the wrong time in the wrong house. And that has how Noah's story started, but it's not how it ended. Okay. And that's important. It's not how it started. Jennifer is a major dog lover in, I mean, she's had tons of dogs and she always goes for the dogs who have a bad rap. 
Yeah, me too. You know, she goes with Rottweilers and Pinnies, and she's a wonderful dog trainer. I mean, she got her, she has her act together. Well, her life fell apart. Her husband left. She ended up not being able to afford to pay the rent, and she got evicted. They put a padlock on, and there she is in a New England winter with oh. two young kids and a dog. And it's hard to get a home when you've been evicted, when you don't necessarily have first and last. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into homelessness, and that's another whole podcast and different story. But her mother had an apartment, and she was not allowed to have another dog because she had a dog. And Noah wouldn't be around other animals. No, nothing. So her mother took the children but couldn't take Noah and Jen because of her lease, the size of it, many, many different things. It wonderful she, she took the kids. So Jennifer lived in her car for 18 months because everywhere she tried to find, they said no dogs allowed or no dogs over 30 pounds or no pits. And so during that time, Jen needed a break and she's trying to train this dog and whatever. And so a friend of a friend knew someone who was without a dog at the time. And Eva loved dogs and had never met. Okay, this is important to know. Had never met Jen. Had never oh met Oh my Nike. gosh, that's amazing. It was a referral. And she had had other large dogs. And so she took this dog and realized pretty quickly, this dog is a handful. This, I don't know if I'm up to this. But she loved Noah so much. And eventually, um, Jen met someone. They fell in love. They bought a house. And as she puts in the story, now no one can ever tell me I can't have Noah. No landlord, no insurance. No one can ever tell me. And so Jen got reunited with her dog. Now, during that time when Eva had him, Jen did get to go visit. So she wasn't ever totally out so a total stranger took a dog wow and this dog now can sleep with a bunny rabbit this dog plays <laughs> with cat. this dog is great with kids and jen i mean god love her she just hung in there where most people would not her life was made so much more difficult because of noah and so much more enriched because of noah and not everybody is up to that task but you know, the bu bully breeds just get a really bad rap. And it's usually the people who. Yep. I know. Yep. See, I got lucky with Blue. He was owned by someone else for six months. Then I started taking care of him. Then by the time he was a year, he was mine. But he's just always been great with kids, great with dogs, great with everybody. Like yeah, but he wasn't abused. Exactly. Exactly. He didn't live in a cage his whole life and break his teeth off from trying to, you know, that's the difference. That's the difference, right? And yeah. it, it's the same thing with people. You say, how can this person have been a murderer? Well, how could you be shooting up, you know, 30 people? Well, you go backwards and you see the abuse and you see the deprivation. And then, you know, broken dogs are like broken people. I'm so glad you said that. They can be rehabilitated. Yeah. One of the stories I really love. Well, one of the stories that was hard for me was writing about our second dog. So we had a second dog and her name was Melly. And mm. because... Gary loves dogs, but Coconut was my dog. And it went so well that I said, hey, let's get another dog. Words I never thought I'd hear myself say. <laughs> and we went into daycare. We went to you know, the shelter. and Coconut used to go to daycare there. And I said, well, who's his favorite friend? And they said, they all said, oh, Bambi. And so she was a terrier, had a little mask, looked like Bambi. Oh, I love that. Band yeah, it looked like Bandit, but, you know, Zara looked like, but her name was Bambi. And, oh, they were the same age, the same size. They played, they loved, and it was, oh, it was, oh, this great blended family. No, not great. Because that three days, three weeks, three months came into play. And when they become comfortable, true colors show. Anybody can be on your best behavior, right? I never knew Coconut could bark till about three months. But he didn't bark because it wasn't his home. And finally, he realized, no one will ever kick me out. I can do this, which I thought was really interesting. That is interesting. Well, with, with uh, her name became Melee. Little by little, she started being such a bully to Coconut. She'd push him off the bed. She'd knock him off the couch. She, she got resource guarding with me. 
didn't want him to be around me, couldn't walk them together, had a really vicious growl. Uh, I got afraid to, to walk her in the neighborhood because we had kids. And then one day we had done a fundraiser at a local restaurant, pause in the patio. And after the fundraiser, we came back with the dogs to have a nice dinner. And the server was really nice. The dogs were acting like really sweet little dogs. And she walked up and all of a sudden, Melly just gave a bark and a growl. It was terrifying. It was so scary. The couple who had just had their, their dinner delivered across the way got up and left the restaurant. They were that terrified of this dog. And I just didn't, I, mean, I had been uneasy to begin with, you know, maybe about a month prior, but I looked down and I saw the woman's boots, black enclosed shoes that servers have to wear. And I knew that I knew that I knew this dog has been kicked by boots. Yeah. It never had, she had never had this kind of response. And I just went, well, so I called Jim and I said, this is what's happening. And he called the behaviorist they work with. And she had, she didn't have time to to see her then. And it was a Sunday and we cried and we prayed and it was so hard. And we took her back on Monday and he said, this is just not the dog for you. But they had a program. So the next transport that came in, I think Melly stayed there about two weeks. Another... Uh, van came in and Melly went back to Kentucky and went to live at the prison where she was rehabilitated. So not a bad dog, just not ready for prime time. And I, I love, like you, I love anthologies. You know, I love being able to tell stories that are not my stories. I've never had a beloved dog die. I've never had a dog with three legs. I've never had a dog with epilepsy. I've never had a dog raised in a prison. All of those stories that really define the richness of adoption. And there's no one adoption story. There's no one foster story. I love being able to tell the stories so that people know your story is uniquely yours, but it's universal in nature. And I think that's why I love this book that I said I'd never write because these stories need to be told. Um, I, my, my favorite review of this book, it was a verbal review. It was a gentleman in our town who didn't really know me very well. And he said, I'm, I'm not a dog person. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Be a cat person. I don't hate you. And he said, no, I, I'm not a dog person. And he said, but I wanted to support a local author. So I bought your book. And I thought that was so sweet. And I thanked him. And he goes, but yeah, you know what? I read this. It doesn't even suck. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, me. And he said, but he said, but this isn't even a dog book. I go, it's not? And he goes, no, it's a book about you with some dogs. I said, you're not wrong. So when people say, tell me about this book, I go, it's, it's almost a mini memoir. Yeah with chicken soup for the dog lover soul pushed together. Yes. What I wanted to do with the book is to show that just like dogs are universal, so are people. And we all have our stories and we can learn from each story. So every story I tell about my past is who made me who I am today. Who made me able to take this exact dog at this exact time to move to this exact location and somehow become a doggy advocate and somehow come to this place where in the beginning of the book, I talk about never say never. I'm never going to kiss a boy. I will never forgive him for what he did. I will never get married again or again. I will never live in the Midwest. I will never have a dog and I will never write another book. And now we all know those are untrue. And I tell you about the never say nevers. And now I'm at the point where I, I live in the Midwest. I'm married again. I have a dog. I've written bios about thousands of dogs. I write books about dogs. And I've somehow come to the place with my never becoming forever. Mm. And I think I want people to know that the never that you're living in saying, I'll never do this. It could be your forever if you leave that door open. It it 
when people say to me, oh, why? Why did you move to Wisconsin? I get this every day. And I, I go, oh, brain damage. They go, ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what? I go, yeah, it would, it took, it would, it took brain damage. It took a car wreck. It took almost dying to get me away from Hawaii. And, but look at the dogs. Yeah. 6,500 dogs. And it's such a joy now to, to know that every book I sell, I get to give away a portion of that so that we can rescue more dogs, which that wasn't going to happen in Hawaii. No. So dogs have lives. People like me have hope um, because of brain damage. And But, you know, let your listeners know I'm getting better. Uh, I no longer have a level 10 unless I do something really stupid. And I'm usually at a four or five and I can function. And, you know, it's just the way we are. When we had Brutus, who was a oh, golden doodle, which is another whole show, but we had Brutus. I love that name, by the way. Crack yeah. that, Brutus. <laughs> My kids named him. And... No, no, no. That was such a funny name. But my kids were, I had remarried for the second time. And they always wanted a dog. My first husband said no dogs. So the second one loved dogs. And I thought, well, this is a great way to get them all connected. And, and it did do that. The problem was my husband got diagnosed with a terminal brain disease oh, no. into the marriage. And... So we ended up moving to Florida thinking it would be more affordable. It was not. And and he eventually oh, passed away. I was his caregiver for, oh, I don't know, seven years. And it was, oh, so it was sorry. a horrible time, sure. but you know, life happens and we move on. And, uh, and on Wednesday I have a caregiver class to give. So there we go. It kind of all comes together, but it was, Brutus was one of those mommy Sean's dog had puppies. Can we have one? Again, no research, no thought process, no fence, no, oh, ooh, bad, <laughs> bad situation. <laughs> but um, it's, I learned a lot. I learned, I have funny stories in the book about Bruce. Oh, yeah. Uh, but dogs are connector, and my nephew lived with us for a while. And he'd say, hey, Carmen, can I take Bruce for a walk? And I'd say, yeah. And he kept taking him for way, a lot of walks. And I said, what's going on? He goes, He's a chick magnet. Every girl wants me. <laughs> but they are, they are people magnets. And, you know, they, um, they know good people. And they know the people to stay away from. And I will tell you, I, we bought a house uh, built in 1875. And so we've been doing a lot of work on this house. And speaking of the gardening thing, I really didn't buy a house. We bought a yard full of weeds with the house thrown in. So, oh man, it's just been something doing this. But, um, but a dog in a neighborhood that is less than pristine, that had a drug house across the street I didn't know about, and it was transient, and it was not gentrified, and it's on that way. I've never felt unsafe in that neighborhood. And people would say, don't you feel unsafe? And I go, Why? This is a great place to live. I can walk everywhere. And I said, but I got a dog. And my dog, everybody loves my dog. Nobody would hurt me. Nobody's going to break in. Nobody's going to take anything because that's where Coconut lives. That's, you know, so he's not a vicious guard dog. It's not like you got to put up a sign. It's there's a relationship between my dog and these people in the neighborhood. And nobody wants to hurt me or my dog because he's a dog. He got his name um, when my when my grandson, who at the time was five, I think, came and saw the house. And once we got him, he goes, Grandma, you got a fence. I go, I do have a fence. And he goes, you can get a dog. I think my son told his son, you can't get a dog because we don't have a fence. But you can get it. And I said, well... <laughs> Just because you got a fence doesn't mean I get a dog. And he says, but yeah, you can get a dog and you can name him Coconut. I go, Coconut? Why? Well, duh. His mommy and daddy are from Hawaii. What are you going to name him? Pineapple? So that's <laughs> he got this weird name. But honestly, had I known 2020 was coming, that dog's name would have been Mai Tai. Yeah. Which I think would have been great. <laughs> you should do stand-up. 
<laughs> Carmen, you are so funny. Really? Oh, I, I do do that a bit. Yeah. I do a lot of, I do a lot of speaking. And oh, good. regardless of the topic I'm talking about, I will always bring in humor and music. Um, one of the things about this book that kind of, I'm not going to say it throw people off, but they were so surprised is I start every chapter with a song. It's not a song about dogs. It's a song that has some relationship in my life. And whatever I'm trying to teach in that chapter, that song will work. And so people didn't, I don't think people expected this book when they opened it up. I think it was just, they thought it was going to be, and here's a story about a dog, and another story about a dog, and another story about a dog. Which, those are great books too, because, I don't know, dogs. But this is a very different I I like to think a little bit deeper, which is fun. Now the next book, so I'll tell your readers, I'm looking for stories. Oh, good. The next book, yeah, I'm writing a book. The working title is "I Still Choose You," and it's all about rescue dogs and their senior humans. Now we're going to call senior 55 and older, even though I think that's insulting, because we're going to go over the over 55 uh, housing. Well, I can be in it because I'm 55. Okay, I want your stories. And you can do more than one story. So this book, we all know there's a different reason for choosing a dog in your 20s than there are in your 50s and 60s. There are different kind of dogs you should get. There are different needs. So this book is all people who are in 55 and up who had or have a rescue dog. But it'll be the same kind of format as the first one, except the, instead of doing music, every story begins with a movie. Oh, I love that. And in the movie, we will always focus on the, one of the characters, maybe the major or minor. At some point in their, in the movie, they are over 55. Maybe they found love. Maybe they found forgiveness. Maybe they went on a road trip with the kids. Maybe they found um, a, a new career. And so it's all based on movies. And I've been watching lots of movies. And I've also found a lot of movies they can't use because, boy, they use a lot of language in those movies. So we're, we, we're going to do all the uh, PG-13s. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm filtering them that way. Oh, that's so thought I could use that I couldn't use. So yeah, my website, uh, which is I've got two websites, CarmenLeal.com, which is my name, but I also have a little publishing company I started for this woman who was never writing again. And it's called Wagaway <laughs> Wagawaypublishing.com. And on there there's a link that says submit your story and all the guidelines and the dates and the email and uh, it's all on there. So I uh I I can't tell you the stories that other people can tell. And those are some of my absolute favorite stories are the ones that didn't happen to me at all. But those are the ones like Jennifer's story that, that impact us. Um, like the story of the three-legged dog. He was shot and had to have his leg amputated. And... He's a great dog. I mean, I didn't have all those experiences, but I think we need to hear those. We need those stories captured. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you have so many great stories. I love this sentence. There's a woman who was uh, life's greatest soulmate, Andrea Jane Bowley. She's talking about Moses, her senior dog, who's a Doberman. And quote, he wakes me up every morning with kisses and unfortunate farts. (laughs) <laughs> me laughing all day. That's like that's like blue in a nutshell, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're just you know they're such unique personalities, and yeah. they're there for us no matter what goes on. They sense when they you need a little extra love. Um, they are funny. Uh, one thing I want your listeners to know, and you might even know this. I don't know. I started a Facebook page. Specifically to be able to share, not stories that like what I do in the book, but I curate um, articles on training, on nutrition, on all those things I did not know. And I do tell stories. um, I do memes. And so it's Facebook, Rescue More Dogs. and, And 
we're growing. You know, we started with zero and we're up to 266 followers now. So, but I just, and we've got people, somebody just joined us from Maine and we've got Hawaii. And um, I remember when I did the new possibility site, we grew from 3,000 to 7,000 doing these kind of things. Oh, wow. uh, 17,000, I'm sorry, 17,000. And one day I got a message from a woman asking me about her dog's poop. And I said, well, I'm not a vet, but you really should see a vet. But why don't you do chicken and boiled rice, you know, you know, that little thing and let the stomach come down and then, then add in food. And so she messaged me and she said, oh, that was perfect. It's perfect now. And I said, oh, great. I said, but why me? And she says, we don't have any vets where I live. Oh, my. And I said, you have no vets. And she says, no one. I said, well, looking at your IP address, I think you're from the Philippines. And she goes, I am. I said, well, why? Why Why do you follow me? <laughs> I mean, really, why do you follow me? You're in the Philippines. And she's up in a mountainous area that literally has no vets. And ironically, my ex-husband got married to a girl from the Philippines and lives there now. And not, not that far. And I said, but why do you follow? She said, because you have the best content on Facebook. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic, Carmen. I just like to read what you write. And I like, you know, and that one, I did all the dogs and the adoptions. And so when I get this new partner, I'll do more of that. But I was such a novice. And one thing that I hate, one thing I love is Facebook or YouTube. And you can do a lot of research. One thing I hate is Facebook and YouTube because you have to do a lot of research. And so much of it is tied to buy my product, buy my product. And I don't ever put stories on that are about a product per se. So if I do something about how often, you know, to wash your dog, I did uh, last week was national take a shower with a friend day. So literally it was. So I turned that into let's wash a dog. How do you shoot shampoo and how often do you do it? Da, 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 da. But nowhere in that article was there anything about a brand to buy. Because it isn't my job to tell you what you should and shouldn't, but very rarely, if, and it's only something if I found helpful, like I bought a Kong, that's how I used it. But I just don't think that's my place. But it is fun to be able to, I have a whole link on Wagway Publishing. I'll have the link to that Facebook page. But I also have training links, behavioral links, food, um, just all the different things that I did not know that I wish I had known. So I'm trying to create a doggy haven for owners like me and owners like you who know a lot, but there's always something to learn. Of course. I think that sounds great. Well, you know, you could definitely put my podcast up because it's free. So I will put your podcast up. I absolutely Especially will. when you're on to promote your show. <laughs> Well, I'm going to be putting it on my media page, but I'm going to put it on as a permanent link Yay. for on, on my resources because that's one area I've been missing is the podcast and other shows because the things that I have seen, oh, just, you know, they're just very commercial. And now back to word from our sponsor, this crappy food bit of cereal that you got to buy because it pays the bills. No, not doing it. <laughs> not doing it. <laughs> Now it's hard to go from laughing to this topic, but let's talk about loss because that's that's just uh, oh god. I mean, I, it's just so devastating. I love what you wrote in the book. You wrote, "I believe what Erica Zhang says is true." Quote: "Dogs come into our lives to teach us about love. They depart to teach us about loss. A new dog never replaces an old dog. It merely expands the heart. If you have loved many dogs, your heart is very big." That is beautiful, yes. and. Uh, that is the number one people thing people say to me is, I really want to read your book. Will it make me cry? I get that a lot. And I go, you will, you will cry. You will laugh so hard you cry. Right. And you will have, you will cry about the dogs that are gone. Because I'm not going to lie to you and tell you, I don't have a chapter about dogs who are gone. But the stories that made me cry were not so much the stories of loss because we all know that if we get a dog, unless we're getting a dog when we're 90, there's an excellent chance the dog will leave us first. 
And so we have to walk in here with that knowledge that I'm going to say goodbye. And we treat our dogs as children. And it's not natural for our two-legged children to leave first. That's not natural. That's not the order of things. It does happen. My brother died when he was 36. Oh, I'm sorry. It was, he had a rare liver disease and it was so hard for my mother and my father to, to deal with that. So, but because we treat our dogs as children and children don't leave first, that's really hard, but it's expected. And we often will get another dog and another dog and another dog. But the stories that made me cry um, weren't those and, People are funny. They'll they'll tell me their favorite stories now, and they never match. <laughs> They're always <laughs> and so one of my favorite stories, the one that made me cry, out of almost gratefulness, was the story about Buddy the Beagle. Mm-hmm. And uh, the lady who narrates the story was going to visit her college friend after a long break, and she was so excited to spend the whole summer with her friend and a dog. Her friend had a dog, and so she was so excited, and she gets there, and there's this beagle chained under a porch, and she just didn't understand. She thought she was at the wrong house, so she comes, and she says to her friend, why is Buddy under the house? And she said, well, my dad said, dogs are always going to stay outside. That toughens them up, and she said, well, how about we bring Buddy inside, and so Buddy came in, and she started working with Buddy. That turned out Buddy had a lot of indoor manners. He he wasn't, he had obviously been owned by someone. And so the girl is working with this dog and she said, you know, I think he'd make a great therapy dog. And she said, really? She said, yeah. So they're starting to work with him. But there's a test you have to take to become an official therapy dog. And there's a lot of points to this test. And there wasn't a lot of time, but she thought, you know, I'll pay the fee. And he passes, he passes, he doesn't, he doesn't. So as they go on the day and the room is filled with very well-behaved dogs that obviously have been in training as therapy dogs. And then there's Buddy the Beagle, who had been chained under a porch, who no one knew his past. And the likelihood of this dog getting the first pass wasn't going to happen. But because we know it happened, he got it. And... He, he passed the first time out, but when he walked outside, it was almost as if he knew he was special. And he howled in the little tongue. Everybody hears him. And he got a little red vest that said, we'll work for kisses. Mm-hmm. And whenever they would take him out to the school or the hospital to be the therapy dog, when they'd open the closet, he'd dance around. He knew he was wearing his vest. He was going to be special. But the part that made me cry was at the very end when the friend says to the woman, Buddy's owner, she said, thank you for letting me stay for the summer. I had such a good time. And her friend said, thank you for teaching me how to love my dog. That just killed me. Thank you for teaching me how to love my dog. I had more tears over that. Mm, yeah, Because just think, of everything it took in the whole universe for who knows where this dog came from to being under a porch. And if that woman hadn't come at just that time in the universe and been a dog lover and had the insight to know this is a special dog, how many people have benefited from Buddy's therapy? You know, from the kids at school who are autistic to the woman dying in a nursing home to two, 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 two. But thank you for teaching me to love my dog. I just, the you know, the randomness doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Each dog is there for, for a purpose. But it is hard to say goodbye to a beloved friend. Uh, my brother-in-law in the book, there's a story about a dog named Pepsi. And that's my brother-in-law and um, he said he'll never get another dog as long as he lives. He just cannot go through the heartbreak. And he was happy when we came to Michigan and he loves coconut. He'd met him a couple times. And one day we were taking a walk and on his property and coconut all of a sudden ran 
as fast as he could, about tore my arm off. I had no idea where he was going, and he ran and he ran. And I said, okay, I'll go with him. And he gets to a big tree, and he laid down with his paws crossed in front of that tree, and I thought, what in the world? And I looked down, and there was a marker marking Pepsi's gravesite. My dog smelled Pepsi because bones don't deteriorate. And that's why dogs are great search and rescue dogs. And he was paying honor to this dog. I couldn't believe that. And I had no way of knowing there was a dog on the property. Dan never talked about that. Isn't that cool? That is. Yeah. I met, When I read that, I was like, oh my gosh. I know. So there's just story after story of these little slices of life that are not, that are huge that will leave an impact with you for a, they, they leave an impact on me for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, it's absolutely beautiful. Well, Carmen, you are so fabulous and so fun. Tell us all the ways to find you again, and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Yes. Well, the easiest way to find the book is amazon.com because they're the largest bookseller in the world. And it's called I Chose You, Imperfectly Perfect Rescue Dogs and Their Humans. And it's um, really easy to find. Just put my name in, Carmen Leal, it'll pop up. But I do have a website, and that's spelled C-A-R-M-E-N-L-E-A-L.com. That serves a different purpose, but there's a link on there to wagawaypublishing.com. And did you like the song? Did you do the, the QR code? I did. Yes, it's Isn't awesome. Isn't that a cute song? I've already chosen, I'm pretty sure, in this book, I have Coda, which is the end notes of the book. Uh, it's going to be Mr. Holland's Opus. Oh, nice. And that is one of my absolute favorite movies. Everything you thought you would never want to do, you do, and you become enriched and a better person, and now there's nothing else you want to do. And I never wanted a dog. I never wanted to write another book. I never wanted those. I, If I could have my dream job, if I could do what I want to do for the next 20 years, if I live that long, which I could, I, hope I, so. I would write more doggy books and I would travel around the world speaking at conferences whether they are dog conferences, whether they are healing conferences, whether they are joy, just humor. So I could take the message of the value of dogs, the value of rescue dogs. That would be my perfect life is speaking and doing these kind of shows and writing and giving everything I have to this message. And that is something, if you would have known me, you would have never believed I would do that. And that's how it's, that's the Mr. Mr. Holland in me because he never wanted to be a teacher. And when it ended, he said, there's nothing else I would ever do in my whole life except what I never wanted to do. Yeah. That's incredible. And that dog, you know, those dogs never wanted to be you. They never wanted to be with you because with a rescue dog, we know they had a different life. You know, before they were yours, there's that little story in there is a meme that goes around the internet and it's about two dogs that were born of the same litter and two different people adopted them. And they decided they were close enough. It was like, I think in Poland, it was, they were close enough that they could come together once a month. And whenever they got their dogs together, the dogs would stand on their hind legs and hug. Oh my gosh. And when I wrote that, yeah. So when I wrote that, just, just actually write their names, right? Two dogs. It, it'll, you'll see the, the picture. And so I don't show it for copyright, but I talk about it. And then I say, before they were yours, they had a mother. They probably had siblings and they maybe had people who loved them before they were yours. But, <laughs> and so when, when your dog doesn't behave the way you thought, when, when things go wrong, when they seem one way or another, it's because before they were yours. And every single dog in our lives, if they were a rescue dog, there is a before they were yours. At the very end of the book, I I write 
I know my dog's a runner because I had a lot of stories about my dog running. And some dogs just are. And I think my dog, I know my dog was owned. I could tell from his behavior. I think he probably ran away. And they didn't microchip. And there was no way to get a hold of them. And he ended up in Wisconsin. And I said, where, I could just, I could see in my mind people putting up lost dog posters on the telephone poles, people doing social media, where's my dog, where's my dog, people being heartbroken, their dog is gone. I see that. And I said, I wish I could tell these people, your dog wasn't running away from you. Your dog was running to me. He knew somewhere there was this broken woman who needed him. Because without him, she would kill herself. And I hope that you got another dog and you got a fence. Okay. <laughs> but your dog. I got tears in my eyes from crying and laughing. Oh my so God, Carmen, you're so awesome. But your the dog was running towards me. And remember that when you're going into a shelter when you're going into a foster, when you're going to a restaurant. However, and in the back of the book, I do talk about the differences and how to find, how to, you know, and I think that's really important because it's everything I didn't know. Right. But just remember, before they were yours, before you looked at them, they had a life. They had a life. And your job is to give them such a great life. They almost forget their old people, their old situation. I say almost because dogs don't forget, but make make the bad times and even the good times make make their life so distant because you're so much better. It's like that boyfriend you could never live without, and then it ended, and now what you have is so much better than the person you thought you'd never get over. And that's what we want for our dogs. That's what we want for rescue dogs. Uh, I'd love to have you back to do like a little bonus episode on top six reasons to adopt a rescue dog. So people have to come oh. back for that. Yes. But you will get it in the book as well. I choose you. Uh, Imperfectly Perfect Rescue Dogs and Their Humans. Carmen Lale, you are an absolute delight. You are always welcome oh, here on Dog Eared. Oh, I'm so happy. You are so good at what you do. You are so good at, you're really good at, at understanding pauses and letting me talk and then bringing it back around. And you're really good at that. Oh, thank you. Well, you're amazing. Everybody, keep coming back to Dog Ear with Lisa Davis. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell all your dog-loving friends and family.